Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. I wanted to talk to you real quick about a new project that I've been working on. It's called the Anti-Work Therapist Collective. Uh, And it's a cool space that I have been working on creating for other therapists who are quite honestly uh, frustrated with the way that the system works and who are looking to disentangle their identity from the work. Um, So this space is created specifically for therapists uh, and it is a place where, um, you know, we're just, we're learning how to to re-embrace our own humanity and re-embrace the things that make us as therapists human. Um, So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that's happening in this space. Uh, We're going to have live events where we do some workshops and we learn some new skills. Um, The first workshop that's coming up in January of 2022 is a workshop where we're going to talk about dialoguing with the guilt that we feel when we set boundaries in the workplace. Um, So I think it's going to be pretty cool. I would love to have you check it out. Um, There's going to be a lot of other cool stuff in there too. Um, It's a space where there's going to be self-paced courses around anti-work philosophy. Um, And I'm, I'm doing kind of a blend between like learning specific skills um, and specific things that you can use day to day to make your work life a little bit more balanced. Um, But there's also uh, an intuitive side to it where we're going to be exploring the more human side of ourselves um, and learning how to lean into pleasure and joy and um, kind of some of the darker stuff, darker meaning shadow work around us as humans and unlearning a lot of the... um, Quite honestly, the negative messages that we've heard about who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as helpers in this world. So um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be in there. This is going to be replacing the Patreon page. Quite honestly, the the Patreon didn't have as much of the functionality as I wanted. And this space, which is going to be hosted on Mighty Networks, uh, it really just gives us a better opportunity to be in community with one another and to do um, both collective learning and self-paced learning. So if you're interested, I would encourage you to go to the show notes and uh, click on the link that I have in there to join. You can also find the link to this in my social media on Instagram. Um, It's going to be in that little link in bio thing. Uh, It's called the Anti-Work Therapist Collective. So if that's something that you're interested in, I would definitely love to see you in there. Um, it is a membership space, so um, just so you know, there there's a cost associated to make sure that the space can stay independent um, and that we're able to run it the way that, that we want to run it. So that's that. Um, I do hope to see you in there. If you have questions, you know, send me an email. <clears throat> I'm always happy to talk with folks and always happy to um, kind of explore what this type of space might mean for you. Uh, if you're to, you know, come and participate with us. So yeah, I would love to see you in there and let's get on with the show. Quick disclaimer, because you know, that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy and this is not clinical supervision. 
There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. All right. Welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I'm your host. This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And today I have a super special guest and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Lightshu. I am licensed marriage and family therapist and a coach at the Vibrant Therapist Consulting. I am right now in my home office in Minnesota. Um, and how am I doing? I am doing well. As we're recording this, it's the beginning of a new week, feeling well rested and looking forward to this conversation and the week ahead. Nice. I think that might have been one of the um... One of the first things that really like caught my attention about you, because I think we connected on a Facebook group a while ago and I was like, oh, you're in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it always feels very special when you see people that have a connection to Minnesota that aren't mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, we're going to start with that big question that I ask most of the guests who come on here, which is what's your burnout story? Um, talk a little bit about where you've been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, like probably a lot of the listeners, I started um, in this field working in an agency setting. And I think although like in the moment of that time, I didn't realize that I was pretty close to burnout a lot of the time, I really was. And it's in hindsight, looking back, that I realized, wow, this is like long days, lots of clients, back to back to back to back clients. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy when I think about it now, because as I think more and more about having a sustainable practice, I know I could not go back to that place. And honestly, I don't know how I kind of got through that, right? Like, so that's in hindsight, I recognize that as kind of like the first place that I kind of brushed up against burnout. Um, And then since I've been in private practice, I would say there's at least two kind of phases where I felt like, okay, you're getting really close to burnout, Sarah, and you need to do something a lot different. And the Mm -hmm. first was really early in my private practice. Um, I started my private practice when my second child was nine months old, and I was really supposed to be doing the stay-at-home mom thing and like one day of private practice (laughs) but the actions that I was taking would have led someone to think I was having full-time private practice right so I felt like I was working all the time either Mm -hmm. taking care of my family or um, working with my practice or trying to grow my practice and there was little very little time for me and I felt like exhausted all the time. I felt Mm -hmm. cranky all the time. Um, And that wasn't why I created that small little private practice. So that was the first time that I really made a lot of shifts. And actually the work that I do with the Vibrant Therapist came out of that experience. Mm -hmm. And then the second time I've been close to burnout has been like probably a lot of people in our field during this pandemic, trying to again, like juggling it all, condensing it all, and feeling like there's just nothing left to give to myself or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's interesting how, um, and I can identify this for myself too, because I've recently been going through the process of like changing the place where I work and starting my own practice and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And I was talking with my fiance about it last night. I was like, I promise you I'm doing all this stuff so I can work less. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but I'm trying. And he's like, mm-hmm. you, you work really hard to work less. Um, and I think that just, that happens for a lot of people in this field. Like we, we do a lot mm-hmm. in, in this goal of trying to create something that feels more sustainable, but like right. a lot of the time we can end up just doing a lot to do a lot. Yeah, right. And I think that it's tricky to figure out, is everything that we're doing actually leading us to an end goal? Or, which I think is true in my case, are we kind of getting distracted by what other people are doing and think we have to do all the things that everyone else is doing, even if that's not really actually getting us to our end goal, but I get it. Like it's anxiety provoking to start a new practice and we just want it to be successful. And it's, it's our baby. Right. And it's such a personal reflection of who we are that we do like get this tendency to want to do all the things, but doing all the things (laughs) just sometimes makes us overwhelmed and exhausted and burnt out and not actually anywhere near where we're trying to get to. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's hard I found it difficult and and this isn't exclusive to working in private practice, but just like being a therapist in general, because a lot of the time for a lot of folks that feels like part of your identity. And so in any way to pull back from that is kind of like, wait, but this is, this is a big thing for me. How can I actually like pull back from this major thing that I've been doing with Mm -hmm. my life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That can create so much anxiety. Yeah. Well, and make, I would say like during this pandemic, right? So my private practice is now years old, like eight-ish years old. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had to pull like way back. And I mean, and there's been different times I've had to like pull things back in this eight-year journey of private practice. And it's so, so, so disappointing Mm -hmm. to have to do that. Um, But also, I, in the, you know, in my heart, know it's the right thing to do, but that doesn't make it any less disappointing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you handle that disappointment when you realize that, that you have to pull that back? I first, you know, like I really just try to like name it, to own it, to like, let it have its space. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think pretending not to feel disappointed is not helpful at all. (laughs) Um, And then, no. Um, and then I really just check myself on what my priorities Mm -hmm. are, right? Mm -hmm. And if I can ground myself in this is my priority for now, Mm -hmm. and like, it probably, you know, like, I might have to say no right now, but it's probably not a forever no. So I tell myself that a lot, like this is a right now decision. Mm -hmm. And at some other point in time, you might have more energy or more space or your priorities might shift and this can come back yeah. into you, like the top list. Yeah. And I think like, at least from my experience with burnout and hearing from other people, when you're in the middle of that, it can feel like everything is going to go on forever. And so yes. like being able to come to this mindset of just for now, I think mm-hmm. even if even if everything else still feels difficult, being able to adopt that mindset could be so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think it helps to, you know, like to, to cope with the disappointment, mm -hmm. um, but it also helps um, us not lose track of our ideas too. Like when I have to pull back from something, I still will write down all the ideas that I'm thinking about. I'll still create lists for myself that I can come back to when there's more space. So it's not this hopeless, I'm giving up on this. It's just mm -hmm. I'm pulling back for now. And when it's the right time, I'm ready to jump back in. Yeah. And so in that pulling back process, how do you feel like that has like over the long term impacted the way that you work as a therapist? And I know you, you said you work as a coach as well. Mm -hmm. So like, how has that impacted your, um, your growth, I suppose, being able to pull back? Yeah. Well, the first thing that um, I was started thinking when you were asking the question, I didn't know exactly where the question was going, Meg, I was thinking actually it gets easier right like every time you have to pull back it's like okay I've done that before mm -hmm. and I can trust that if I, I pull back I'll be able to jump back in right mm -hmm. and um, I will say like in my therapy practice I feel like when I've pulled back it hasn't hurt my practice in the long run right here I am still standing with a viable practice that I love eight years mm -hmm. in it doesn't saying no to clients for a short term period of time. I haven't experienced that as like a wall that means I will never get clients yeah. again. Right. I see it more as a flow where I can let people know I'm not taking clients right now, but I'll let you know again mm -hmm. down the line when I'm not. Um, and from a really an abundance mindset, like when I can't take new therapy clients, I happily connect them with my colleagues and know that my colleagues will do the same for me in return when I'm ready for that. Um, and then on the coaching side, what I will say is I feel like although it feels vulnerable to like talk about pulling back and like that I can't be like everything for everyone all the time, um, it's the reality, right? And I get a lot of feedback from other therapists that they appreciate that. It's validating to their experience. It helps give them permission to do the same things in their practices as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the paradox of it, right? Because like when we go into this field, um, there, there tend to be a lot of messages that like you give, you give all of yourself um, sort of this like self-sacrificial aspect of things. And of course, that's not like pervasive across all settings and organizations, but it's, it's pretty prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think especially for people new to private practice or people new to the field, interns, like non-licensed people to feel like you're allowed to set boundaries. You're right. allowed to say, nope, not right now. Mm. That can feel actually kind of scary. Right. Um, and, right. and I like how you mentioned the abundance mindset because like, a lot of those times when you're fearful of pulling back and saying, no, that can feel sort of like a scarcity mindset thing. Like right, if I absolutely. pull back, nothing else is going to come. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, just made me think about um, something I had recently written about, like how sometimes we have to say no, um, even before what we know, what we actually want to say yes to. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes simply saying yes to more rest and taking care of ourselves is a hundred percent amazing and important. Right. Yeah. Um, but that feels scary to think about saying no to anything when you don't know 
exactly why you're mm-hmm. saying no. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working in your coaching role, um, okay, how often does this come up for you that other therapists are, they're fearful of saying no, or they're hesitant or resistant to the idea that they could potentially say no before they actually know what they're going to say yes to? Uh, I would say it comes up a lot. Boundaries <laughs> okay. is probably like one of the number one things that I um, work with my coaching clients on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's boundaries around lots of things, right? It's boundaries around creating your ideal schedule, the schedule that actually works for you and your family and not just what works for your client. It's um, boundaries around really like owning who your ideal client is and letting those that are not your ideal client be referred to Mm -hmm. someone who would love to see them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's boundaries around um, creating containment around your caseload so that you can pursue a different passion project, right? And that's the scary stuff, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to say no to income to pursue something that I don't actually know what, you know, like what it's going to do. But if it's like really what your heart is calling you to do, the income will follow, right? If you do it in the right way. Yeah. So what types of passion projects have you seen therapists? um, I want to say like pursue, even though they're afraid of what it might mean to pursue that. What what have you seen from other people? Sure. Yeah. Um, Lots of like shifting from more of a therapy model to coaching Mm -hmm. models, um, offering, um, like courses or workshops in addition to their therapy practice, mm-hmm. um, writing projects, um, kind of shifting more to a little bit more like education for yeah. um, populations that they love to serve versus just therapy. Um, so a lot of the therapists that I work with don't want to give up the therapy realm. I mean, I think I relate to that too, right? It's like, yeah at our core, we're therapists, but then we also have these other things that we're interested in. It's about how do we create space Mm -hmm. for both? Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to this. Um, Like I've noticed a lot of therapists, a lot of us are very talented and driven and we have a lot of skills. um, And it can be, again, scary to kind of like think about different ways of pursuing those skills Mm -hmm. and talents Um, because we've, we've come up in this field where it's like therapist is identity and therapist is what you are. Um, And that like, I think for a lot of people that definitely works, you know, they're 110% content with, with just doing the therapy and that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But for that other subset of the population, it can kind of create this tension of, I love being a therapist and I feel maybe a little trapped in this role. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And absolutely. I, you know, Meg, when I was thinking about our conversation, one of the things I was thinking that I really appreciated from my agency days is um, I had a supervisor who very quickly, and not a clinical supervisor, more like an administrative supervisor, very quickly um, moved me once I got fully licensed into kind of like a dual role where I had um, like a half caseload and then I had administrative responsibilities. And I actually think in the long run, that was one of the most helpful things for me in terms of like conceptualizing how do I be a therapist in a sustainable way because Mm -hmm. it was the first time that I, and early in my career had permission not to just be. 
yeah. therapist, right? And as I've kind of moved into my private practice and then the coaching stuff, I know I can't have a full therapy caseload. That cannot be my full-time job. That's not sustainable for me. It doesn't mean that that isn't right or sustainable for someone else, but for me, I can do like a, you know, part-time therapy practice. And then obviously the vibrant therapist coaching is where I've gone, but I need something else. That's a little bit different. That sparks different Mm -hmm. energy and uses a little bit of um, different skills than my therapy practice to really take care of myself and my family and do Mm -hmm. good work at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So as you have um, sort of built up these two separate, but like kind of complementary businesses, mm-hmm. um, how, how has owning those two spaces impacted your level of burnout over time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that um, pandemic aside, mm-hmm. I would say um, creating the Vibrant Therapist has helped me drastically reduce my overwhelm. It's similar in um, that initial private practice startup where there's a lot of energy that's put out into getting things going. But once I've had a nice flow, they are really complimentary because I can have set like therapy days and I set my ideal schedule and I Mm -hmm. follow it like 99% of the time in the therapy realm. Mm -hmm. And then the coaching days, feel lighter to me. It feels different than um, the therapy days, um, which is a really nice balance for me. Um, I get a lot out of the coaching that I do for others, right? Like it's one of those win-wins, kind of like therapy too, right? Like where I'm giving ideas and helping with strategy, but also on the flip side, I'm learning from what I hear my clients talking Mm -hmm. about, and that can be applied to my life as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that the type of work that you're doing in the coaching realm is that sort of mutual, mutually beneficial aspect, right? right? Like you've got some ideas from your own experience. And then these folks are like, yeah, it's just reciprocal, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how else have you been able to find like balance and joy in your life outside of your professional work in a way that helps you manage your burnout, especially yeah. in pandemic times? Yeah, absolutely. What I think is probably like the number one thing <laughs> that I um, had to shift with my first like wave of burnout in my private practice was containing my work to my work day. And Mm -hmm. that was super, super hard back then because I, like I said earlier, I had those really young kids and only one work day, Um, but it wasn't working for me to, you know, work in the evening when my kids went to bed or to try to like cram work in while they were napping because they were never napping at the same time. Um, And I noticed this kind of come up for me again in the pandemic when they were out of school. I had to try to condense my um, work days, um, specifically my client days. I was again like writing notes in the evening or you know catching up with my email in the evening, and that just does not work for me. What what I know works for me, and I work really hard to make it happen, is to build in time in my work day. That is for me personally mm-hmm. um, to take care of myself, but also to make sure all of my admin tasks can be done in the workday. So when I'm done with work, 
I'm really done yeah. with work and I don't have to think about it until the next day when I open my laptop again. Um, yeah. And that, you know, it takes time, right? If you're spending a lot of time um, doing your documentation or um, working on your website or social media or whatever outside of work, it takes time to like start to create the space within your workday. But for me, that 100% has paid off because then I use that evening time, like especially after my kids go to bed for the things that fill me up, you know, reading, you know, journaling, art kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I I wonder how, like, because I'm thinking back to my my days and probably like thinking of your days in agency settings. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of folks, like it's, it's a struggle to be able to contain those work hours when you're working for somebody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how, like from your work in, in working with other therapists and coaching them, what kind of ways do you find are helpful for those types of folks in those settings to have effective boundaries with their work when there's this like other layer of right yeah Yeah. like what do you suggest absolutely I think that what's really important in that situation is to find like an ally or an accountability buddy someone who is committed in the same way Mm -hmm. that you are to holding boundaries around your work because Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful to have someone that will help hold you accountable Um, and Again, it might be a little bit vulnerable, but we do have to like take that risk to kind of shift cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Workplace cultures. Um, so I remember like when I was working at an agency, I had a very lovely office neighbor and we went to a training and um, it was by Laura Vander Newt Lipsky who wrote the book yeah. Trauma Stewardship. And she's such a passionate, like lovely speaker. Oh, and um, we were at that training, right? And she talks all about these, you know, different directions and how we should take care of ourselves um, to have a sustainable practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily me and my office neighbor were at the same training and really like heard the same message so we could keep checking in with each other and then we came up with ways like in our work day to try to allow ourselves to follow kind of Laura's model so like for example back then we were doing paper notes so we would agree let's go outside together and sit um on this we had a picnic table in the back of our building let's sit outside together and write our notes so that we were still being productive and getting our work done but we got the benefit of the fresh air the sunshine um the uh space of being together while we were doing our work um so that's one another thing that I you know I used to do when I was in agency is be really intentional about taking my lunch break right like there's a lot of this let's push through lunch, let's write our notes during lunch, let's call people back during lunch. Um, But what I found for myself is my energy and my well-being was so much better when I would actually take the lunch break and either go like eat with a colleague um, and have more of a friendly conversation or go to, we had like a lunch room, Mm -hmm. um, go down to that common space and just chat with whoever was there and not be thinking about all the work (laughs) that I had to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned both of those things, um, particularly uh, trauma trauma stewardship. Um, I remember reading that book several months ago and just being like, mind blown (laughs) about a lot of the stuff in there. And for listeners, I would absolutely 100% recommend that book to anybody who works in any sort of helping profession. Um, And 
Meg, Laura has a, um, a TED talk where she talks about the trauma exposure warning signs. I don't know if you've seen it, but I like, I think it's a really helpful um, TED talk to watch because it's really like the signs of burnout, right? Like she uses yeah. that phrase trauma exposure, but it, all of the things that she talks yeah. about are the signs of burnout. Awesome. Yeah. I will absolutely put that in the show notes because I loved the book when I read it and I have not seen that TED talk. So appreciate it. Um, yeah. So I, I think, so <laughs> I'm going back to myself, thinking yes. of myself when I'm working in an agency setting and I have all of the requirements placed on my shoulders and all of my colleagues have all those requirements and right. trying to put myself back in that headspace, because obviously being in private practice is it's very different because you are, mm-hmm. you're directing your own time rather than yeah. having somebody else direct that time. Um, and I can, maybe it's just me, maybe there are other listeners who are like this, but I can hear my defiant self saying, no, like that's not enough. Like just sitting outside or like going to these trainings and like, logically, Mm -hmm. of course, I know that those things are going to help. Um, but when I was at my most burnt out or most vulnerable, like there was sort of that, that phase of feeling a little helpless as well, and maybe helpless about the situation. Right. Right. Yes. Um, so what would you want to say to folks who are maybe struggling with that stage of being burnt out where they feel helpless about taking control of things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the first thing that popped into my head is talk about it, Mm -hmm. right? Like find, um, trusted people. You can talk about this experience with, and it might not be within your agency, right? Like I want to a hundred percent own that, it might not feel safe to be that vulnerable in mm-hmm. your workplace and talk to about that extent of the burnout, right? But if you have grad school colleagues that you can meet up with and share your experiences with, I think there's that piece of reducing shame in just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I'm like 100% a big fan of paid outside either supervision or consultation, kind of depending on where you're at in your Mm -hmm. licensure journey. But I think we just need a space to safely talk about those experiences. And then I start to think about, okay, when we feel helpless and hopeless, the first thing that comes to mind for me is focusing on what's within your control, right? Like, Mm -hmm what are the small, and I know it's not going to feel like enough, right? But what are the small changes that are within your control that can help in ignite mm-hmm. change in the system? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, sometimes it can, it can feel like the systemic problems are overwhelming and that we have little ability to make much change. Yeah. But I, I would agree with that. Um, the times when I was most burnt out, um, focusing on the things that I would be able to do for myself, whether that was, um, maybe for a certain week, just not pushing to reschedule a certain client, even though my boss was telling me you really got to try or establishing for myself that I wasn't, I wasn't going to worry about the notes this evening. I can make time tomorrow. Those little things, even though it doesn't necessarily solve those big systemic issues that are right. within organizations, yeah. like you're bringing, what's that, what's the term? Um, the locus of control comes yes, back into right. you. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And something that I think about a lot, um, well, two things I want to say that I think about a lot. Yeah. Um, first is I think about the question, what do I need? Right. Because when there's a lot of work sitting there, sometimes we need to get some of that work done. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what's best for our um, emotional well-being. But sometimes we need to say, that can wait for tomorrow because it's gonna wait for tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? And what I need most today is to go for a walk when I have a gap in clients, right? Or to just run and get a coffee, right? Or to go home early if it's the last client that cancels, right? And I know that if you're working in agency setting, you're putting in way more hours than you're getting paid for. So I hope that your agency gives you some permission for a little bit of flexibility, but if not, like I hope maybe you find a way to give yourself some permission for flexibility, even if they don't directly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one of the things that I was thinking about, like, what do I need the most today? Mm -hmm. What will serve me the best? And then the second thing I was thinking about is how no matter where you work, there's always more work to being to be done. So like really like something that I've tried to embrace is the idea of what's good enough. Yeah. for today or what's good enough for this week. And I talk a lot about tabling. What can I table for tomorrow? What can I table for next week? What do I, I mean, what do I table for 2022 yeah, <laughs> is you right. know, something that I talk with some of my coaching clients about too, right? Like depending how much is on your plate, some things do need to be pushed off mm -hmm. farther. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, a question popped into my mind because I think that those those are good things to reflect on. And those have been things that have really helped me in my process of burnout is reflecting on what do I need and what can I um what can I set aside or what is yeah. good enough for now. Yeah. Um, but for those those of us who struggle with um identifying our needs in the first place, mm -hmm. when that question is asked, uh, what do you need? Um, sometimes and I'm sure like for a lot of us listening, when we ask that in, in session with clients, they're like, I don't know. Yeah, right. And that's, that's not unique to the therapy clients. Right. Like I no. myself have been there. Right. So how would you suggest a person maybe take some first steps in understanding for themselves what they need in those moments yeah. when it's getting really difficult? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you bring that up, Meg, it reminded me of a really lovely, um, I guess, coach, um, Mara Glatzkill. I don't know if you ever um, heard of her. She has a podcast called Needy. Um, and she talks about asking ourselves what we need and that sometimes we don't know, right? But we should just keep asking ourselves the question every day because at some point an answer will pop up. So that was the first yeah. thing that came to mind is like, yeah, sometimes we don't know and that's okay. Don't give up on asking mm -hmm. yourself what you need because as a therapist, what we need is just as important as what all the people that we're um, meeting in our offices need. Mm -hmm. um, so keep asking yourself the question as the first thought that came to mind mm -hmm. for me. Um, but then I also would say, like, I'm big on like taking inventory. Um, so I would like kind of look around me, right? First starting within my own body and noticing like, what am I experiencing in my body? Mm -hmm. Am I experiencing like tension in my neck and shoulders? Is my back bothering me, right? Like, 
I've had this weird hip pain lately and I have no idea what it's about, but sometimes I don't notice it until I start to do kind of that body scan. So I Mm -hmm. first look in within myself and then I look around me, right? Like what's the state of my desk? What's the state of my bedroom? What's the state of my kitchen? (laughs) Right? Like, and like some of those things can give me signs, right? And sometimes there are more things to do, but sometimes like something catches my eye and it's like, that's it. I just need my mm-hmm. nightstand to not have therapy related books on it. And that's what I need today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very called out. <laughs> Unintentionally. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying that, like in the video recording, I know listeners can't necessarily see it, but like the background looks nice and clean. But I'm looking at my desk and I'm like, oh shit, there's a lot of stuff on my desk. There's stuff on the floor. I know there are dishes in the kitchen. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of, that's an interesting, but probably very helpful way of just taking, um, taking stock of the current state of things for ourselves is like, sometimes if we don't know what's going on inside, we can look out to the environments that we kind of create for ourselves or that we maybe don't mindfully create. And we can see there's a lot of clutter. I'm not tending to the things that I normally would. Um, I can, an example for myself is, oh my gosh. So recently I went and got my car oil changed pretty normal. Right. Um, and so as we record this, it is mid almost mid October. So I got it done at the beginning of October. Um, but I hadn't had my oil changed previously since December of the previous year. Sure. So when I got into the shop, they're like, yeah, we didn't get almost any oil reading on your car. Like we think there might be a leak. And I'm like, mm. no, it just burned off. <laughs> it burned off because I didn't. It's <laughs> like, I guess I should take care of this. And so it's like those kinds of things where when you actually take a look at what's going on, you can step back and say like, oh, I've yeah. been so wrapped up in other things that mm-hmm. I, I could have burned my engine right. out yeah. because mm-hmm. I wasn't paying attention. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I think of things too, right? Like, I don't know why this made me think of um, your story made me think about this, but I was thinking about the doctor, right? Like, yeah. I need to get in for a physical and for some reason, like all, and it's not due to like November, but for some reason, like all of a sudden it clicked in my head, like people are having a hard time getting into doctors, right? Like if that's an important priority for you, you should look at the schedule right now Mm -hmm. and put that on, right? Not wait until November and then realize you can't get in until January, right? Like, so I had the thought and then, right? Like that's tending to my body. That's tending to my mental health as well to check in with my doctor, but then it's the follow through, right? Like, go on the computer, look at the schedule, match up her availability with my availability, but I did it. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. that feels like a huge self-care win to like prioritize taking care of myself and to be thinking about that ahead and not letting it Mm -hmm. slide. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just done the same thing. I yesterday went online and was like, I should make an appointment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it can be like, for myself, I've found it surprising at times to recognize how, um, how my brain gets in its own way when it comes to taking care of myself. And again, I, I do not want to speak for everybody, but I've overall heard a lot of the same thing where it's for some reason, so, so easy to get caught up in taking care of literally everything else first. 
and then ourselves if we have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of like acknowledgement of that, but also shame that people right. carry. Yeah. When it comes right. to that. Yeah. I feel like it's a mixed message in our field, right? Like take care of yourself, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. But then the practical realities of like, how do you do that and be a therapist is not talked about, right? Like, so there's the disconnect of you should be taking care of yourself, but you got to figure that out all on your own, which is why it's lovely that you've created this podcast, Meg. Like, it's giving like actual tangible ideas that people can pick and choose from to implement into their lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that too, um, part of what I needed out of the show and what I've heard from other people is that just like an acknowledgement outwardly that it is hard. Um, Because like I, I did go through those mindsets of like, okay, I'm the therapist and I should know. And why is this so hard? And how come I'm exhausted and crying before work? I don't get what's going on. Um, So yeah, being able to provide like validation for that experience and then, you know, allowing people to tell their stories in a way that may resound with other people. And then having like, here's some things that you can try, even if it feels small when you're burned out, nothing is too small to help you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, when you just said that something that one of my clients and I were talking about, um, she was asking me like, what if I'm like resting too much or like basically indulging too much in self-care? And I was like, that can never happen. Right. (laughs) Like, especially in this world that we're living in right now, I was like, let go of that worry. There's like never too much (laughs) taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself right now. There's a lot of heaviness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I hear that all the time too. And not just in relation to self-care, but it, it kind of comes down to that, like, well, if I, I feel like if I just let go of this need to always be doing and do everything and take care of it all, I'm just going to completely fall apart and do nothing. Yeah. I'm like, that's such black and white thinking. You know, that's not going to happen for yes, you. Right. But like, yes, allow some grace there. You can, yes. you can take an afternoon to take a nap and then get right back to it if you need to. So. Right. Yeah. That reminds me of an idea that I share a lot too, which is like, let's just experiment, right? Like it's, I know it feels scary, but like, just try it once. Right. And if Mm -hmm. everything feels like it falls apart, you can pull back. Right. But hopefully (laughs) the evidence will show you that you can keep experimenting in this way and taking time for yourself. Yeah. And I love thinking of it that way. And I do that with my clients a lot too, especially when we're trying like something that feels really, really new to them is just try it out, have, have a hypothesis. Yeah. See if your experiment uh, matches up with that. Right. You may need to run a few trials and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but just see, see what happens. Cause mm-hmm. we're not going to know if you never do it and yep. if we don't do it. Like you'll probably continue living in this pattern of right. whatever it is that you've got going on. Um, and I'm hearing it's not working for you. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just getting over that. Um, getting over that mental hurdle of taking on the challenge and sort of creating the experiment for yourself that Mm -hmm. feels a little scary, but also doable enough that it's not going to overwhelm you. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that word doable. Yeah. 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 So what other um, little experiments do you think people could play around with 
either like, and this is kind of across the spectrum of, of where people work or what they do, like, what are some daily or weekly things that you might suggest to people who are experiencing burnout? Mm. Okay, let's see an experiment. Mm. Let me think about this for a second. Um, well, I, you know, I think a lot about uh, systems, yeah. um, because I think that creating like systems help us no matter where we work, get our work done in the work day. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times people will say, you know, no, I can't, you know, like, I have to do it this certain way, I can't um, do it in an, any other way, or this is how I was taught. Mm -hmm. um, but I would think about experimenting with a system. So like one of the um, systems that I use that people often steal from me, but they feel a little bit hesitant about is um, I turn my out of office resp auto response on every single weekend. Um, and I have long weekends. So it goes on like on Thursday when I'm done with my last client. Um, and then I don't turn it off until I'm back in the office the next time. Um, and people are like, oh, like a little bit like, you mean like we don't have to check our email all the time? We don't have to get back to clients like over the weekend and um, like just give it a try, right? Like just give it a try. Let people know, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're really worried, like if you've been responding to clients on the weekends, let them know you're doing something different, but let's just give it a try. And yeah. I got to tell you, like, for me, it's so much easier to hold boundaries around my work not coming into the weekend because I know I have clearly communicated that to my clients, like, in the intake process. They get yeah. that if they email me on the weekend. Similar type of messages on my voicemail. As long as I've clearly told people what they can expect from me, it's way easier for me to hold mm. boundaries. So that mm. would be an example, right? Is thinking about, is there a system somewhere in your work that you could experiment with? Even if it feels a little scary, try it for a week, try it mm -hmm. for a month. Ooh, yeah. And as you were talking about that, I also got that feeling of like, because <laughs> that is, um, I think it's differently scary depending on where you work. So right. like, yeah. I can imagine if you're working in an agency setting, that could be like, Oh, what if my boss can't like, they're used to being able to get a hold of me, even right. though I'm not supposed to be on the clock. So what does yep. that mean if yep. I say no? Mm -hmm. And then for folks who are more independent or private practice, like, Oh, if I don't respond to an email an inquiry or somebody needs something from me, I might lose that client. Yeah. I might lose right. an opportunity. Yep which again right. goes back to that, like, sort the of scarcity. scarcity right, yeah. right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, so the first one about, like, the boss and the agency, I would really encourage um, people to be very transparent with their boss, because what is your boss going to say? If you are um, supposed to work set hours and you say, just heads up, I'm not going to be checking my email outside of my set hours that you set for me, boss, what are they going to say, right? Like mm -hmm. they can't say anything other than, yes, of course, that makes sense, right? <laughs> or if it's a big deal, maybe there's going to be some shifting in what your yeah. schedule Mm -hmm. is right um, so I think having really transparent conversation with those that you work with in the agency although it's going to feel scary I think the response can't be anything other than either validating or let's make some changes so that you can continue to check your email whenever you're supposed to check your email supposed mm -hmm. to in quotes to, um, yeah. um and then on the private practice side, I mean, I relate to that, like that fear of missing out 
on clients. Um, but I also know that I want to work with clients that want to work with me and the clients that I want to work with are willing to wait a couple days mm -hmm. to hear back from me, especially if I've clearly communicated that in my email or my voicemail, they're not like lost um, out there wondering yeah. when is this weird therapist going to get back to me? <laughs> is, she, is she spacing? Yeah. No, I'm not right. Like, and I'm very diligent in carving out times when I'm back in the office at the beginning of the day to like follow up on anything that came in over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really, um, I think that'll be a good experiment for a lot of listeners and a challenging one. And one that also like it can reveal to you your own inner processes around what you think, what you think you should be doing, mm -hmm. what other people are telling you you should be doing right. um, and how those two things line up. And so back to the that first example with your boss or your supervisor, like, obviously we hope that they will say, of course, like you have set hours outside of that, you're fine. Um, but if they respond in a way that doesn't feel healthy for you, if it's like, no, we're, we really need, like, we know you have set hours, but you need to answer on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of take that as data in your experience. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I always say that too, right? Like that's information, that's information. for you, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're expecting you to flex to be able to answer emails or calls on the weekend, mm -hmm. then that means to me that there should be some flexibility during the week where you could then do the things that really need to take care of you. Mm -hmm. Um until perhaps you leave that situation and it can work somewhere that there's overall better boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, I know that there are so many different ways that that can go to, because there are situations that we knowingly sign up for, like being on call and it, yeah, and if, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that, that experiment may feel a little different for folks whose right. job it is to be available. Right. Um, Absolutely. But then like, you can also sort of like, understand and test experiments within those bounds as well. So yep. what, what are the boundaries that I still control, even though as part of my job, I'm required to be on call? Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I think there's a piece, I mean, because I've talked to other therapists about the on-call kind of thing too, of like making sure that the place that you're working has set up on-call rotations and whatnot yeah. in a way that's sustainable, right? Because you really can't be on call 365 days of the year, no. right? Like, so, no. <laughs> so what, what is the agency doing to make sure that being on call is a sustainable mm -hmm. thing for therapists or managers or whoever's doing it? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's, you know, that experiment is different. It's more thinking about, is this working for me? Yeah. Um, if I, you know, love this work, how do I make sure that an on-call rotation or schedule is sustainable in the long run? And is there mm -hmm. anything I need from my agency to make that more doable? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that may like, for some folks, it may open up more questions because if, if you love the work and an on-call rotation is not sustainable for you, then that can be another area to explore. Yeah. And as you said, like with somebody you trust, either with a supervisor, if it's safe within your agency, talking to an, a supervisor that you've hired for yourself or a mentor. Cause I think that what I've seen a lot of is we have, we have this way of thinking. And I'm, I think Vander Newt Lipsky in that, in her book, Trauma Stewardship 
talks about this, where we feel like we have to do the this particular job, or we have to be in this particular position. Mm -hmm. And the thing that um, really hit me when I read that book is, no, you don't. Um, (laughs) And that that can be really hard for especially people in the the helping profession to hear. It's like, you you don't have to do this job. It may take some time to find your way out of it into something that serves your needs as well. But like, you don't have to do that. Right. Right. And it might not be like you said, it might not be like a quick fix, but even like knowing this is my vision of where I'm trying Mm -hmm. to go helps reduce some of the overwhelm and it makes doing what you're doing right now a little bit more bearable. Um, And I also just think like for therapists, there's so many different roles that we can have, you know, different types of agencies, different type of settings that have positions for therapists, right? Mm -hmm. So feeling like we have to be locked into one set position isn't really real. And I know a lot of people think like, okay, like, are, is everyone thinking private practice is the only way out? And I know that right. Private practice Mm -hmm. isn't for everyone either. Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to stay in your set agency position that may or may not be working for you. Yeah. Right. Like there's so many options to explore um, and starting to just think about those options can help you feel like, okay, a little freer, even if you decide ultimately this is the position I want to stay in, Mm -hmm. it feels more like an intentional choice versus being stuck there. Oh, absolutely. Which in and of itself, once you, and I'm pretty sure that, um, Sandra Nutlipsky talked about this. It may have been somebody else, but like, yeah, no, when it becomes a choice, and you're, you're acknowledging that you're making the choice to say for whatever reason, like whether it's because you love the position or you, you need the benefits that they offer or whatever yep. it is, like yep. you're intentionally making that choice, knowing that you, you can look at other things, you can explore other options. Like even that can help it feel like, okay, this is, I'm not just being forced to be here. Like I'm choosing right. to be. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and she, yeah, she does talk about that in her book and she mm-hmm. has a really cool exercise about, um, I think she calls it the plan B, like, what would you be doing if you weren't a therapist too? And I like thinking about that and like, <laughs> yeah. how can we pull that in to our daily lives too? Mm-hmm. Like I will, I plan to be a therapist, right? Like until I retire, But like when I think about that exercise, things that always come up for me are like um, owning a bookshop or like a bakery. Like, so then I think about like, how do I pull those things that I'm passionate about just as much as therapy right into my daily Mm -hmm. life and routines or weekly routines as well? Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. Just even thinking about if all of a sudden things changed and you couldn't be a therapist for whatever reason, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And just kind of like um, entertaining the idea that there are other things available to you yes, and that you, you can incorporate that into your day-to-day mm-hmm. life. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I know that before we started recording, you had mentioned to me a resource that you developed as part of the Vibrant Therapist. Um, I think you called it the inventory for overwhelm. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that as a resource for therapists who might be feeling 
burnt out or overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. It's called the overwhelm assessment for stressed mm -hmm. out therapists. And I know Meg's going to list um, the link in the show notes for you all. Um, but what it is, is essentially it's an inventory for therapists to kind of take a look at where in their practice they may be feeling overwhelmed. And I also include um, personal life categories as well. Um, and the reason that I created this inventory tool is because I was hearing a lot from therapists. I'm so overwhelmed that I don't even know where to start, right? Mm -hmm. And they need a starting point to kind of like dig themselves out of overwhelm and into a place of more ease. So um, it's an inventory, like lots of different categories where I have heard that therapists are feeling overwhelmed. So first there's that piece. And then the second piece is some reflection questions to help you figure out where mm -hmm. to start. Because I often think there's two approaches to where to start. It's either what can be done quickly and easily so that you build some momentum and you can keep like knocking stuff out and feel like you're going to make progress. The second is what's the um, area of overwhelm that if you could get a handle on it, you would feel like it had the hugest impact on your mm -hmm. level of overwhelm because um, even though that might take a little bit more time, the impact would be so big. Yeah, absolutely. What are the main areas? I mean, I know that in, cause I actually downloaded that and I saw some of the areas there. Um, but what do you see most frequently for therapists as like the big areas of overwhelm? Yeah, absolutely. I would say documentation comes mm -hmm. up a lot. Oh my gosh, yeah. um, <laughs> And like figure and documentation is a hard one, right? Because yeah. it's your supervisor teaches you or your agency teaches you how to do it a certain way, but it might not be the way that's best for you, right? So mm -hmm. documentation comes up a lot. I've helped so many therapists dig their way out of major backlog with notes or um, yeah. treatment plans or anything like that. Another thing that comes up a lot is um, just boundaries around schedule. Mm -hmm. um, Kind of, we talk a lot with um, my clients and I about how many clients do you actually need to see? What are your financial goals? Um, we get like really nitty gritty around knowing those numbers of clients so that we can figure out what's your ideal schedule. How do you build in buffer? How do you build in time for all the work that you need to do that isn't seeing clients mm -hmm. um, and do that in a way that works for your clients? but also works for you and yeah. for your family. Yeah. Um, so schedule is something I work with people on a lot. Boundaries, how do we set boundaries? How do we communicate boundaries is another one that comes up quite mm -hmm. a lot with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I can see how those would be the big ones. Um, especially as you were talking about documentation, I'm like, yep, yep. That's it. Like, I know I have a pile of things that I need to get through and it's like that. And yeah, the, the scheduling and boundary pieces too. Um, I mean, as, as part of my own journey, I know mm -hmm. that those are things I've definitely struggled with. And early, early in my career, I'm so thankful for one of the supervisors I had who, and this was at an agency, he said, you control your schedule. Your clients don't control it. Yes. Um, which was so vitally important for me to learn. And I'm, I'm still learning it because mm -hmm. I mean, before we started recording, I was like, eh, today is my day off, but I had a session. <laughs> so it's like, it's still a thing, but over time it gets easier. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that you have that resource to help people even understand mm-hmm. like where they're getting overwhelmed. Right. It's like that snapshot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start from there and then you can do that snapshot again, a few months down the line and see the yeah. progress that you've made. Cause I think it's super important for us to notice like the smallest progress when we're overwhelmed, because it can get so discouraging. Right. And we think we're never going to get to a place of more ease when you're really, really in it. Yeah. But if you can celebrate all of those little steps along the way, it helps you keep on going. And eventually mm-hmm. I've seen so many therapists like dig themselves out of overwhelm. And I did it myself yeah. too. Right. Like, and it's, so amazing. And once you're out of it, you're like, whatever, like I am not going back to that. Right. And I talk to my clients and I hear them like, they're just so diligent then about sticking to their routines and their schedules um, and their boundaries because they don't want to go back to that place. And they've also come to learn we can have an off week or off couple weeks and get ourselves back on track. It doesn't have to spiral into this huge state of overwhelm and burnout again. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that is so important to keep in mind because we are humans and just like everybody else that we work with, we're allowed to have days and weeks and maybe even months that just don't feel the best and that's okay. Or a whole pandemic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. I, I don't know who I was saying this to, but, and it's, it's kind of like my dark hu- humor coming out. I'm like, you know, this pandemic is just kind of a way of life because it's like, yeah, oh so my God, like when yeah. we're getting to the point where it's kind of like, we're having to learn how to adapt around it rather than right. yeah. thinking it's going to go away, but that's a, right. that's a whole other. Yes. That's another episode. I think it might. <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah. Okay. So, um, I want to be mindful of the time, but, um, one thing that I like to try to ask people kind of towards the end of our interviews is if you were to leave maybe one or two things for the audience to kind of think about or chew on, um, as they go on with the rest of their day, Mm. what would you want to tell them either about burnout or overwhelm or, or anything really related to what we've been talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the first I think is kind of like a little cliche or overstated, but I think it's worth saying again, because it's just true, right? Like we absolutely need to make time for ourselves each and every day and every week. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it might feel like that can only be five minutes and sometimes it can be longer chunks of time, mm-hmm. but in order to stay in this field, we have to start with really, really good care of ourselves, Mm -hmm. the best care that we can give. And I know it's not going to be perfect, right? Like imperfectly good care of ourselves is probably the first thing. Um, Second thing is, uh, oh, so many things I could say. Mm -hmm. Second is check your expectations of yourself. This is something I have to work on all the time. Um, but setting my expectations too high, I know sets me up for disappointment. It sets me up for overworking. Um, it sets me up for being the opposite of vibrant, which is not what I strive for. Right. Um, so like I constantly am checking my expectations like each day, each week. And um, I think that ties into kind of like the third thing I would say is I think in order to be in this field 
for a long time, therapists have to be willing to pivot, um, to pull back when they need to pull back, to say, I'm going to make a huge shift. This worked for me in the past, but it doesn't work for me anymore. And that in the life of a career of a therapist, we might make lots and lots of pivots, but I think we kind of set ourselves up for unnecessary agony when we hold on too <laughs> tight to something that we need to pivot away from. So yep. those would be my top three is make time for you, do it today, um, even if it's really, really small, mm-hmm. adjust your expectations, monitor your expectations, um, and then be willing to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that those, all three of those really work well together. Um and can complement each other in the ways that you can, you can use those across the span of your career. Um, And yeah, I would agree. Even if all the time that you can make for for yourself is just five minutes a day, like that's five minutes more Mm -hmm. than, than you would have if you didn't Mm -hmm. do that. So Mm -hmm. just got to start somewhere. Right. And you can build from there. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like the time flew, which is kind of interesting. Like it's just, but I, I feel so, um, after these conversations, I always feel so vibrant, right? Like really fulfilled by the stuff that we talk about. Cause this is the stuff that, you know, folks like you and you and everybody else, like just this whole community, the things that people are sharing, I feel like I personally would have really benefited from this when I was in grad school and in my early career. Um, and I'm still benefiting from it. Just mm-hmm. listening to folks, um, talk about their experiences and share, share their, their perspective on things. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. I enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate you having me and creating the space for these types of dialogues um, and giving permission to our colleagues to really think about how they're doing their work and how they can do it in a way that minimizes burnout. That's the hope. (laughs) Yes. All right. Thanks so much. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, I would absolutely love to have you join the Mental Status Patreon community, which is now officially open. When you join Patreon, you'll get access to a supportive community of like-minded mental health professionals, where I will be offering a ton of high-quality, deeper-dive content related to burnout with everything from patron-exclusive podcast episodes and monthly webinars to access to the Mental Status Facebook community, Q&A sessions, and more. To join the Patreon community, head on over to patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod and pick the level of support that fits best for you. Again, that is patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.